This is direct from the fucking Russian. He even came out from the back. I got this at 7.15 this morning. Like normal people shop for reefer. Greetings from Podcastville, the church of what's happening now is brought to you by Blue Apron. Blue Apron is the leading meal kit delivery service in the U.S. While many people know what we do, many don't know what types of meals you eat when you cook with Blue Apron. Like quick bucatini with broccoli and pecorino cheese and Italian-style shrimp, sweet pepper. With incredible ingredients and chef-designed recipe, Blue Apron lets you see what the power of food can do. This is what I'm going to do, all right? Blue Apron, we're going to hook up the church family with $30 off your first order if you visit blueapron.com slash Joey. Again, $30 off your first order. Check out this week's menu and get $30 off blueapron.com slash Joey. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. This show is also brought to you by MeUndies. Listen, you want to look good. You want to look clean. You want your undies to feel tight. You know, you want to show, you complain you don't have a girlfriend, but you show up with cotton whiteies with skid marks. That's not going to work out no more. That's not going to work out. You see what I'm saying? So this is what I'm going to do for you. Me undies is the most comfortable and fun underwear you and your significant other will ever own. They're made from the softest materials on earth. We're talking three times softer than cotton soft. You follow me? Plus, they come with 100% satisfaction guarantee me undies guarantees you you and your significant other how about that one you're gonna love your little matching pairs or your money back me undies has an exclusive right now you're gonna get 20 percent off free shipping and 100 percent satisfaction guarantee go to meundies.com slash joey that's meundies.com slash joey you're gonna love how they feel you're gonna love how they fit and you're going to love how they look. And remember, you want confidence, it starts from the inside out. All right? Kick that fucking mule, Lee. It's the Churchill What's Happening Now. March 8th, motherfuckers. Here we go. One, two, three. Hit it. Pop goes the pop, goes the wine, and the weasel. I see the empty pocket needs a refill. Who the fuck you think you're dealing with here? Churchill, what's happening now, bitches? So we can make it known that we won't get swayed. It's 91, son, so something's got to change. Getting paid, pedal sneakers, and soda pop. Pop, pop, pop goes the weasel in drawers. Drop, 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 drop. Why not take your top 10 pop head? Fix the music and make sense. This rhyme's fit. I guess it's the fact that you can't be autistic. Intricate raps. Are you fucking kidding me or what? It doesn't have to be spoon fed. And I can read it doesn't have to be read. Oh shit, the flying Jew, Dan Cummings, are you fucking kidding me, you might as well break out the syringe bitch, we're going deep. Are you fucking kidding me, people? Pull over. Just pull over. It's over. You're just sitting there drooling, going, what the fuck, Uncle Joey? Why must you abuse me like this? Oh, shit. Score more points in one period, appearing in complex structure like a pyramid. The paper for the media presence. Are you fucking kidding me or what? That's when That's when it was starting out. That's, that's, 
couple of white dudes goofing on vanilla ice. Are you fucking kidding me or what? I, I don't think I've seen somebody have that much fun <coughs> with third base since 1991. Yeah, no, no, no. That is. <laughs> you just fucking got into that. That I jam, liked it. when I fucking found that the other night at like 12 o'clock, <laughs> I had just taken, I take like the, you know, the Goma Goma uh-huh. and the fucking melatonin mixed together. Oh, yeah, I do the melatonin. I do the whole thing. What the hell's Goma Goma? I don't know. Whatever I don't know Goma Goma is either. My wife melatonin. gives it to me and I take it. All right. <laughs> And I pop them, and I'm waiting an hour for the shit to sink in. And I'm popping through videos, and I found that. And I got to tell you something. <laughs> for a minute, like, my body just froze. I forgot about that song. Like, it took me right back to, I was I was in the halfway house. We used to watch that in the community room. Wow. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. And white guys would be dancing. A couple black guys would be dancing. Did they not let you watch, was... like, intense, like, like explicit music? Did they let you listen to that? No, because in those days, MTV was in a whole three, three floor halfway house. And they had a community room with a TV that you could get your food and go down there and chit chat with all the other convicts. Or they had a TV in your own room and you were either in a three man room or a seven man room. Okay, gotcha. You follow me? So. I feel like that was a. I think Pop Pop goes, Pop Pop the Weasel was like a year or two before. It was a weird era of hip hop with like the white dudes, like uh, OMC, How Bizarre. I think he was just. Do you remember yeah, that? Yeah, How yeah. bizarre! Bum 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 bum. bum. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so many funny songs looking back. But yeah, third base. I think they took themselves pretty seriously. They, they, that was my favorite part of like when I was just watching that video was them. Them. I, I love it. Like, there's no way that that song is less corny than Ice Ice Baby. But they just they're just shitting on Vanilla Ice. I'm like, <laughs> I was living in Boulder when Ice Ice Baby came out, and, and I hung out with this dude that was solid. I loved him. He was my brother for years, yeah. and he had a, a nephew, a brother-in-law. Okay, that was probably 15 when Vanilla Ice came out. Yeah, and he was a Vanilla Ice freak. Oh yeah. And our job was to torment them. Like, we would just <laughs> fucking, we would just. Who gave you this we job? We would tell them, like, listen, yeah. fucking, uh, you know, what's a black dude with the baggy pants? Oh, MC Hammer. Yeah, we'd go listen, Hammer yeah. would fuck up Vanilla Ice, and he would lose his <laughs> mind. Like, he would pull his hairs out, he'd fucking yeah. cut his own skin. <laughs> I was I was junior high when Ice Ice Baby came out, and I thought I literally thought it was the best song I'd ever heard in my life. I knew how to, I could do the dance. That was like because I was like uh, Run DMC, Tougher Than Lever. I got I got that, and then Fat Boys. I was one of the rare people that had a Fat Boys cassette. Remember that song Jelly Roll? It's like oh one my, of the worst. Oh. I eat it, I need it, Jelly Roll. Oh well, it's good God. for the heart, the body and soul. I eat it, I need it, Jelly Roll. <laughs> Just like this corny ass shit. That shit was terrible. It really <laughs> terrible. was. Terrible. But I thought it was the coolest. I remember playing well, Fat if Boys. If you're 12 and 13 oh, at the that best time, shit I'd ever heard. And, you know, you like, that. this is the coolest thing. Yeah. And then you listen to it when you're stuff. 16 and you fucking throw the album away. Oh, yeah. you yeah. like, give it to mom. Give give this to blind kids or some what, shit that don't know. And what a weird era where it's like, you know, NWA's debut album wasn't far behind. It was right around there. And, right and there, Ice-T yeah. with like body count and stuff like that. So there was like hard hitting real shit at the same time as I eat it, I need it. Jelly roll. This one, this one was right around the corner. Oh yeah, that you know, was that was the first. That's one of the first uh, CDs I ever bought. Yeah, one of it's, tapes it's, CDs. it's crazy when you look at it and you saw the whole mm-hmm. thing. And I really saw yeah. it in New York. I was a kid. Oh yeah, I'm an old fucking man. So I saw the disco go from disco to fucking it's like Sugar Hill Gang and all that kind of all stuff. That, that like, I still remember doing an eight ball one night when I was 16. <laughs> yeah, and oh, we listened to that hip. 
a hop habit. Oh yeah, yeah. We listen yeah. to that over and uh-huh. over from eleven o'clock till six in the fucking. It's the only album we had in the house. That's all we listened to. In fact, Early Cool J, like when he was like sixteen. He didn't come out too far after, or like eighty five or something. Eighty four. Like, that by that time I was gone. I was okay. I was mugging people. <laughs> Not to change the subject, Joey, but how many people have you sent to like mental institutions? I can't believe you said this guy was cutting himself. Oh, oh my god! <laughs> what are you talking let about? Let me tell you something. Let me let me explain something to you. I was thinking as I was telling Dan Cummings, I had the weirdest thing happen to me for years. People trusted me with their kids. <laughs> I don't know what the fucking thing was. And I'm great to kids. I'm great with kids. Josh Wolf's kid will testify to it. Josh Wolf will tell you. <laughs> this I is a weird like, subject to go into after sending people to mental institutions well, lead in. Well, but this was the deal. I <laughs> I kind of babysat him and his his uh, his mom would work at Albertsons. And they knew I was struggling and they were struggling. So we would help each other out. So the struggle yeah. was... They would lend me their car at night to go do a gig if I would watch the Wolf. kids. To, no, this is com- before, oh, before Josh Wolf. Okay, okay, okay. okay. <clears throat> this is really open mic days okay. in Denver, and, and I would watch their kids. And they had a five-year-old kid, and I loved him like he was my fucking son. And I would get Chinese food, and we'd, r- we'd watch Bruce yeah. Lee movies. <laughs> and he would ask his mother, please, let Uncle Joey watch. So he started getting older. <laughs> He liked football. So we would play football in the fuck. I would clean out the living room and we would play fucking football. I watched that kid for years and he hated, he would always carry the ball out. So right before he'd score, I'd just take the ball out of his hand and I'd go fumble and he'd go, you cheated, you cheated, you cheated. And this was constantly. So he would fucking go to the room and go, fuck you. Yeah. I don't ever want to play with you again. But the next day we'd be out there sure. tackling each other. Right. And one day we were playing football and I knocked his two down. <laughs> preparing him for the game. He had to be about 10. <laughs> I knocked this fucking tooth How out. old were you? I had to be in my fucking 28 or something. He still calls me Uncle Joey. I just talked to him when I was in Denver. He, he just has a fake tooth? So, no, <laughs> right, baby, was it a baby tooth or a grown-up tooth? I think it was a baby tooth. I think oh. he was a little younger, but he yeah. was. He loved me, and I loved oh. him. And then I moved to Seattle, and then I moved to Los Angeles, and Josh Wolf just had a kid. And she had to work, and Josh had to fucking work. And I slept on Josh's couch, and he would say, listen, you got to watch the fucking kids. Yeah. You know, that's part of the fucking deal. And I, I still remember me being at the comedy store one night and getting a call from one of my friends saying, hey, man, <clears throat> I have a problem over here. I'm watching Josh's kids, kid, and he won't stop fucking crying. Josh, I called Josh, but he's too far away with his wife. Can you come over? Yeah. And I had to drive over to there. Uh, and I, like they were watching TV and playing like baby music. <laughs> he didn't like that. He yeah. liked how I put him to bed. I put yeah, on yeah. fucking Sublime. Uh, yeah, uh, and yeah. dance with him to Sublime. Yeah. And dog within two minutes. Josh, you interview Josh Wolf. He'll still tell you from today. Because Malia, <laughs> his wife, was yeah. a bigger woman. And she had big fucking jugs of debt. <laughs> and she was warm blooded uh, Thai and Swedish. Okay. So she was bigger, and I think at that time I was a bigger guy, and I don't know what it was. He loved me. Jacob, to this day, yeah. I'm his Uncle Joe. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the girl, too. Yeah. Because the girl at that time had to be three. So she had a brother that was five that would torment her. And every time I'd catch him fucking tormenting him, I would fucking tell Josh when I'd squeeze his ear. Or, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'd poke him in the side or I'd do something to him. 
but I had them all like when I was I had them all like after they fart they go by ya. <laughs> so if you farted around Josh's <laughs> kids, they would go by ya. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like the little one, the girl yeah. still calls me Uncle uh. Joe. And I still remember being in the car with her and Josh one day. <sighs> and she was in the car seat and she was the cutest little thing. And we're driving on Vista between Sunset and uh what's the street that you could drive on when you're drunk? Uh, Fountain. Yeah. Fountain. <laughs> it's uh Kennison said that, that you could drive on Fountain when you're drunk but years ago. And so we're driving down that street and there's a homeless guy. And he's walking across with a cart, but he's taking his time. And he looks at Josh Wolf, and Josh Wolf has to actually break the car. And the guy looks at Josh, and all of a sudden, Josh goes, under his breath, he goes, fuck you. And all of a sudden, there's silence in the car, and the little girl goes, I can't wait till I can grow up and say fuck. Because <laughs> fucking, uh, you know, she was always around me. And sure, sure. We tried to control her, but I was always, for some people, for some reason, the weirdest people trusted me with their kids. The reason why I'm thinking We got good energy. You got good energy. See, I, I feel like this is going to be a dark story, which is going to end with, like, she's in a mental no, institution now. No, no, no. This no. is, yeah. But yeah. I would fuck with them. Yeah. I'd fuck with them. You got to torment kids. I fuck kids. with my kids. I fuck you with my kids. You got to torment them yeah. or not, they'll torment you. Yeah. You got to torment them from time to time. What do you mean? To, like torture them. Like, you know, play I scare, I scare the shit them. out of my son. My son, yeah, he's, he's jumpy. He's twitchy. Oh, it's the it's just the best reaction. It's so rewarding. Where it's just like you sneak up on him when he's like nervous in like a dark area. And I'll just get right behind him. Just <laughs> like, just really like, and just <laughs> Like she, like she just got like into oh. Harry Potter. Oh yeah, well, so she just she's five. Yeah, she just got into it. and She's oh. wearing the wizard hat oh, and shit. You scared the hell out of her. So no, so I'm oh. not gonna get like a costume <laughs> like that dude with the beard and waking her up at night in the middle. Of the no, night. that's yeah. a good guy. If you want to scare her, you should get. To, I shouldn't tell you this, but you should get Dementors. Like in one of the books, oh, like the yeah. scary like flying guards. The gay, they guard the prison. Uh, yes, they like they like Dumbledore. I think she's only watching the first one now. But no, yeah. The reason why I was thinking of Josh Wolf and these memories because. We were talking before the podcast started about Seattle. Yeah, about starting. The, yeah, you started in Spokane. I started in Spokane, but uh, Spokane didn't have much of a scene. It was the best place to start looking. I didn't know anything about stand up when I when I got there was into, one room in Spokane that was owned by a karate guy, Chris Warren, the brick wall comedy. Holy shit! There man. you go. And holy you, shit! And you, you slept in the karate school. I yeah, I heard about that. If that you was did yeah, this comedy show. You slept at the karate school. I did it one time. On the mats? Okay. Yeah. And I'm like, That's come on, guys. That's hilarious, man. That guy's had a crazy- uh, Come on, guy. Oh, my God. Well, when I started, Chris had his room in the Valley in Spokane. And, and then, like, but you had to, oh, be, like, uh, out of town or something like that to work with him for the most part. He would host. He would book an out-of-town feature. He would book an out-of-town headliner. But there was another room. Keith Stubbs out of Utah yes. had a little room at the Red Lion called Laughs. That he stole from Tribble. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he did. Sure, he, sure he did. Yep. He's, yeah, and when they started, but he wasn't booking out-of-town features. So there was about 10 dudes doing comedy in Spokane, but they only booked headliners. And they, and they were trying to do four shows when I started. And so they just needed bodies. And so if you would just go up and just fucking talk and kill time and not make the crowd hate you, you could get stage time immediately in front of a paid audience. So like my second week of comedy, I was doing like 10-minute sets in front of a paid audience Wow, and and I didn't know that was not normal because I didn't I didn't study stand up. I just kind of like was trying it on a whim, and so looking back, it was that, so I started getting sta uh, stage time every single weekend because I would just at least try stuff, and then trip. They recommended me to triple, and that's before I got to Seattle. Seattle was like a year in for me when I went and did the underground. I hosted, slept on some couches, hosted, and it was like I felt like a real comic for the first time. Before that, I would do triple runs these these shitty 
fucking bars and stuff around Montana and Idaho and northern Nevada and Oregon and Washington because I had a Honda Elantra that ran well. And that That's was all, all the need. all I needed. That's all you needed. People, headliners would fly into Spokane. I would pick them up. And as long as I would just drive everybody to these gigs. And these, this shit was like, you'd have to, the joke with the triple run was, you'd have to cut your set early to start driving to make it to the next show on time. Like, they were so spread out. You would be in like. Eight hours. Nine yeah. Hours. For re- like, you would be in. Ten hours. And Mizzou- then some days yep. it was six hours. Some days it was two. Yep. Like one day you'd have like a two hour drive and you're like, woo. Thank God for two. Yeah. It would be Missoula, Montana one night and you might have to go to Idaho Falls, Idaho the next, which would, yeah, would be like eight hours away. (laughs) And sometimes I I remember (laughs) this little tiny Hontai, bald tires going over those passes. Not not being afraid of dying, which I should have been, just you know, but just like, oh shit, I hope I make it to this gig. I can't. What made Give you? Me. What what would possess? You know what? A young man to get on a highway? <laughs> no, no, no. Right. I'm questioning yeah. no, myself. Yeah. yeah, you know, I had logic at that time. I wasn't the smartest guy in the world, right? But I remember doing triple runs. You know, right now, like right now, what's going yeah. on on the East Coast? Yeah, they're telling you oh, to yeah. stay home. They canceled a thousand fucking. A thousand right. flights and all this yep. shit. Oh, you like, still Lee, you still make it to the triple show? Yep. I never, but Joey, my yep. mother called and she said, Lee, we got snow tires, uh-huh. we got gas, we got weed, we got a radio, and we got an extra tire in the back, and I got AAA. We're going. Yep. And you guys you, ever miss a gig? You got there an hour late. Yeah. There was one gig that I uh, was questionable. They canceled. It was that okay. bad. And it was in Portland, Oregon. It was outside of Portland, oh, Oregon. Okay. It gets right, really Van- slippery. Vancouver, probably. Or yeah, long, it gets long really, view it gets really slippery. Yeah. It was like a Saturday night gig or something yeah. that it got slippery. But Triple I bet runs, it was Longview, Washington. I mean, think about it. What made you. You, you know, know how many comics hit fucking deer on those triple runs? Right, you, right. That's scary. I hate hitting deer. Do you know how many fucking fuck. comics hit triple fucking? <laughs> I like how you said I hate hitting deer. As if some people are like, I don't mind. I don't mind fucking hitting Listen, deer. Listen, let me tell you something. <laughs> they, would have, they would have warnings. Like, in those days, you got the triple <laughs> sheet, right? Oh, yeah, the rundown. They would fax you the yeah. rundown. And it would say Tuesday, March 6th. Uh, 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 Tuesday would be like that little. Ogden, Utah was oh, my first yeah. run. And then my second night was River something Wyoming, where the mafia had taken the federal government had to take over. Sheridan the town. was Sheridan or Sh- I forget I Rockview. Something. Oh wait, Rock. Yes, yes. They, they did it on sixty minutes. Did this? I, uh, think about it. That the mafia yeah. would take the prostitutes from Vegas. Yes, 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 and yes. Run them through yes. there, rehab them. They had strip clubs that. Like, like you were like, uh, uh, you can't be fucking serious. Like it was like five dollar lap dance that came with a hand job, a finger up your ass. Like, <laughs> like it was, and it was everywhere. So the the federal government had to get it. Rock City, I gotta look Rock it up Springs, now. Rock, Rock Springs, Wyoming. Rock Springs, Wyoming. I, I did it one time. That was they had two comedy rooms in there, Rock like Springs. a disco that turned into a ladies' night, and whatever. And then you guys, you have no idea. Like if I sit here with you, like I, you know, I, I fuck around with Lee and I torment them. This is to do these triple runs and to think you're going to like, I would book these in January. Like the first triple run I booked yeah. was uh was a federal government. Rock Springs. Yeah, Rock Springs. Rock yep. Springs yep. With the, the first triple run I booked was January 30th. And he called me, Lee. He called me like on a, on a Sunday night at 1130. I remember him paging me and me seeing two, like the zip code and going, 
<laughs> oh my god! Out of Vancouver, like, Washington. Oh my god! And running to the payphone and going, "Yes, Mister Trip, yeah, like, Joey, I, uh, I've heard good things, and we're ready to go to work." And you're on the other side of the phone. Yeah. Like, <sighs> and he's like, yeah. "Okay, I got three weeks of work for you." <laughs> Grab a pen and you're like, do you have a pen? And you're like, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm on a payphone. And he's like, do you have a fax number? And you're like, uh, not really, but I'll get back to you. If I, I mean, you feel like so unprepared. Oh, yeah. It's a badge of honor when this you start off that This is crazy. Nah. This was like your big chance to go on a fucking triple run to professional live your dream. Now. You're a professional. You're getting $75 a yeah. night. You get 50 that night and the rest they mail to you in a fucking check, okay? So that's how it is. And he'd, he'd tell you the first week you're going to go to... Ogden, Utah, then Rock right. Springs, and then you're going to end up in fucking uh, the Air Force Base in Idaho. Mountain Home. Mountain Home yep. Air Force Base. And to you, it's like saying you're going to do the Wilbur Theater or something. It was like oh, doing sure, man. It's pay dog, Between you and I, at that level, at that point in my life, it was like doing Madison Square Garden and being from New York City. Wow. Like, I, I, imagine. I still remember packing that car, like, going, I cannot believe this. You get a free hotel room. I get a free hotel room. Sometimes, you, sometimes you get a free meal. You know what the best thing about it is? Nobody knows where the fuck I am. Nobody get a hold of me. I don't want nobody to get a hold of me. I don't want nobody to know where the fuck I am. It's over. Yeah, I'm becoming a comedian. That's my equivalent of becoming Clint Eastwood, like an unknown guy. Yeah, man. You just listen, disappear into the man night. with no name. You don't know where you're going. You don't know how you're gonna get there. You got four tires. They're brand new. You just got your car tuned up. You got $310 in the bank. You got an apartment that sucks dick, you know, and one day you go, you know what? I'm giving up this fucking apartment. Did you Do you remember this gig in Lewiston, Idaho, where there was a car that was in this bar, like a sports bar, and the stage was just a little prop stage and coming out of the car? It was like a Thunderdome. Everybody's above you. It was like a Wednesday night in Lewiston, I Idaho. Lewiston. I remember going to Lewiston. I got arrested in, I got. I had a warrant in Idaho for huh. fucking a long time. Do I, What's the, they, they had two, it was Idaho like, City? Yeah, that one, the Little Tree Inn and Idaho and, Falls. And then it was across the Idaho street, Falls. Idaho Falls. It's a fucking nightmare. So it was a Thursday and Wednesday. Right, so, and there was so, Pocatello was another one. Pocatello with the other guy that ran the business. He was his partner. Yeah. Dave something. I, and he booked Northern California. Those nights, Lee, were very special. Oh, man. Because they were 75 with no hotel. <laughs> those were very special, Lee. Th- those, those gigs could be oh, so rough. Oh, boy. I saw, this is the only time I've ever seen it in all the years since, too. I saw somebody, I watched their comedy career end. Like, I saw the moment <laughs> when they stopped. Yeah. Like, it, it, would, like, like, like where they left. Like, this, this crowd like, this was so it. rough. This is it. When Natchi Washington, I watched this guy. It was some prop guy. He would do... You would do a half hour, and then you would do an hour if you were closing the room. So he's doing a half hour. I'm doing an hour at this time. And the, he literally gets no laughs for a full half hour. But it was a rough room. It's not like it was easy to get laughs. But it really shook him. Like, it really shook him. And then the next night, when Lewis and I, I'll never forget this. He's doing his sets. It's a full room. But it's it's like people would come to some of these rooms to watch you fail oh my as God. opposed to enjoy the show. Right? They're looking. So this guy... I've never seen this since. He does about seven minutes, and he had this little suitcase full of props. Oh, no. He just stops talking mid-sentence, and he just looks around, like, just defeated in his eyes. And he just carefully puts all his props back in his suitcase, and he closes it, 
and he walks off stage and he walks out of the hotel never to be fucking seen again he didn't call for his check though nope nope he was like triple calls me i call triple and he's like can you do the rest of the show and i was like can i get his check and he was like yeah and i was like fucking done oh and i went God. and did an 80 minute set <laughs> i only saw one guy fracture on stage and never come back fracture he was- <laughs> you never forget it when you see the, the, the when you, you see the see break it, when you see the break you fucking die. It was. It and, took this kid eighteen months. Oh, I do. I I saw him every night for eighteen months. And you saw the moment saw, it ended. I saw two kids crack. I saw one. <laughs> one guy disappear. <laughs> I saw one guy disappear into the abyss. <laughs> Kichi, he would come on every Monday and go. This is my impersonation of a door. This is my impersonation of a flower. <laughs> this is my and this is constantly every. I want him month, to quit. This is my impersonation of a bong. But he had his uh, moments. He had his moments. Like Andy Kaufman esque kind yes, of surreal. Like he okay. was, and he was a nice sweetheart of a guy. He had a clean soul. He didn't do drugs. It wasn't like a mental health issue. This was the style of comedy that he went. And he pulled me aside one day after nine months of me knowing him. And he goes, I got to ask you a question. What do you think I should do? And I go. Stop doing impressions. No. I would. He had something to him. Okay. Okay. He He's, just. Yeah. He was at a point where he was so ahead of himself. Stage prepared. You ever write a joke that me and you only think it's funny. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then you give up on it, and then three years later, you bring it back, and now the jokes are fucking killer. Oh, yeah. It becomes Be- a closer because you, yeah, you're ready for it. You're ready for it. Yeah. He did He did not know how to ah, do this. He wasn't ready for his material I'm yet. I'm telling you, I would okay. look you guys in the face and tell you yeah. he sucked. No, he uh-huh. didn't suck, and he was handsome, which made it better. He was a thin guy. <laughs> Well, at least, just, at least that makes the story less sad. He had, he had a lot of things go. going for him. Yeah, yeah. But he just didn't know how to sell. This is my impersonation of the frame, you know. And you know what I'm saying? Like, and he kept doing it and doing it. And everywhere he would go, he would bomb, and he would fucking. They would throw shit at him. And oh. They <laughs> throw stuff at him. Oh my like god! Like, brothers? At, he went to like Bellingham <laughs> one night. He went to like a no. The he didn't elephant go to and castle. No, he didn't go to the elephant castle. He went to the navy yard. The fuck? Bremerton. Bremerton. He went to Bremerton and they threw the, like the, the, Navy, the Navy just they like, no, we live in submarines. We came up for oxygen. We got to put up with impersonations of an impersonation of a submarine. They threw something at him. That's why I saw them. Oh, they really did throw something at him. That's why I saw the broad that we were talking about, the woman that she walked the room. Remember? Oh, yeah, t- yeah, yeah, yeah. The girl. I don't want, do you want no, me to say her name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kathy, Kathy Kathy's Kathy. Yeah, Kathy, Kathy's room. She'll tell yeah. you. Oh, she's, fu- she she's fucking She walked that fucking room yeah. in Bremerton. They were yeah. the Navy. They were very different walked- than the, she was an underground comic. Yeah, that was, was not her crowd. No, no, no. She went yeah. up there like an abortion joke and the yeah. end of the story. Bam. They ran out of that place. So he bombed, he ate a bag of dicks there. And then <laughs> Pat Wilson put him at the Army base on a Friday as an opener. And he died there. And then he came back to the open mic. Yeah. Oh my god. And he was fucking just he was a day away from hanging himself, oh. right? Like I could see that his day job was getting rough on him. Him and his girlfriend were having problems because he was out every night, you know. Uh. And one night he's up on stage on a Monday. And he's like, Good evening. This is my impersonation <laughs> of a book, you know, and he's this is my impersonation of an eyeball. This is my impersonation of a flower. And all of a sudden you hear somebody go, 
do an impersonation of a comic, right? <laughs> and you can hear the... <laughs> like, you can hear yeah. it from the back of the room, physically, yeah. emotionally, like that was it. You can see, he, the, you he can see his soul leave his body. He, he didn't even get the light. Uh-huh. He just said goodnight. He walked out of there. No high five. Never seen again. I never saw him again. Uh-huh. Then there was a kid who came with a, he used to come on with a fucking, uh, with a open mic scenes. For anybody who doesn't know this and is considering comedy and think that we're crazy. Your first year, you're going to be doing comedy with, 20 people in a room, and 10 of them are borderline mental health issues. Oh, my God. And Lee is starting to see it now that 50% of us are a little wagadouche. So at first you ask yourself, like, why am I doing this? But then somebody sees you, like, Dan, you're pretty funny. Come up to Seattle, and now you see how it is, and you go, okay. Now I put it into perspective. You're not being judgmental. And then by going to the open mics, you learn of the people that want to be Hollywood stars, and you learn of the people that are hobbyists. Right. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing right. wrong with getting on stage twice a week. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Being yeah, a working yeah. man and just having a great time. Yep. On your week off, you yeah. take a week with Dan Cummings and open for him. Right. Make a little money. Yeah, some of us want to be part yeah. of the scene. You know, they're doing the same yeah. set 10 years later, but that's all they want to do. They that's just want to be part that's of the it. scene. That's that, fine. Yeah. You meet so many different yeah. uh, different people. Oh, yeah. It's such a journey. Like, uh, what yeah. I'm telling you about is 20 years ago. Like, I still remember going to. The eight ball in the first time I went. Great there. Falls, Montana. Great God Falls, damn Montana. it, that room was a fucking I, you know, nightmare listen, it's, for it's, me. It's tough going in there with a white dude. I decided to go in there to co-headline with Rico, the black dude with the spider dude. in his face. <laughs> we go into a white diner. There isn't a black man within a thousand fucking million yards. Right. What do you think this motherfucker does in the restaurant? He's Muslim, so he gets on his hands and knees and starts playing. This is way before 9 11. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So people weren't. This is when, no, 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 you didn't know nothing. This is 1990 fucking five, okay? When my heart was praying at whatever my Idaho, you know, I never heard nothing good about Idaho with with minorities. So I'm sitting there. It's better, it's better, it's better. I'm sitting there going, I can't believe I'm in a fucking diner filled with white people and, and I'm with a six foot six. 320-pound black man who's on the floor playing the Allah right now. Did wow. he do that after, like, you guys were already sitting together? Like, yeah. Like, oh, I didn't no. know when the bullet was going to come to my fucking head. <laughs> then I went back to that bar. Yeah. And the dog girl looked like Kiji, but she was the owner's daughter. So she's very sweet. She's very nice. I'm very polite. I'm working with a female. We'll co-headlining. And she goes, if there's anything you need, let me know. And I go, well, to be honest with you, I'm on a triple run, and this is going to be a long week. If I get some marijuana, it would be tremendous. She goes, is that all you need? And I go, wow. what else do you have? And she goes, name it. We have a Mexican cook in the back, and he's got 20 cups. <laughs> he's part of an organization up here. So you need roller skates. You need bubble gum. You need cocaine-laced fucking bazookas. <laughs> I mean, she stocked us up for the week. But wow. here's where it got crazy. <laughs> she was a sweet girl, beautiful girl, you know, the whole thing. Yeah. She goes, I'll deliver it to your hotel room. Right. She got there, and she's like, I'll take a blast. Like, I tried to give her, like, 20 bucks and, like, a little bit. She goes, no, 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 it's okay. I'll take it. Do you mind if I do a taste to you? And I said, yeah, do whatever you want. Yeah. This bitch pulled out of rigs. And that's when I was like, when does it end? Like... You're shooting cocaine in fucking God's country. What? 
Like she, the rig meant? Right, she took the rig out. And I thought I had she was it. smoking I said, something. I can't oh. see needles, so I'm going to go outside. She rigged her coke, oh. shot it, and fucking left. And then came back and left me a note in the door like an hour later. Like, I'd like to come back and shoot some more later on. I'm gonna, wow. I found it in the morning. Like, I did two bumps that night and went to sleep because yeah. I had to drive eight fucking right. hours. Oh, man, small towns and stuff like that. Like the, <laughs> yeah. the meth and things like that. Yeah. People reach oh a, a level of despair. People, uh, like, I'm from a really small town in Idaho. And, and, and I feel like uh, similarities in some ways to when I hear stories of people from, like, a ghetto where it's, like, a land of no hope when you feel like there's no hope. It's, like, a lot of people in these little towns – their third, fourth generation little town, you know, like that. And they just feel like they're stuck there forever. They want to get out when the high school's over. And then when they don't, the people who stay, it's like a, a deep level of despair sinks in. And, and and you just see like the light go out in their eyes. And then it's like the meth and then the heroin is, you know, like uh, fairly big. Heroin's actually big in Coeur d'Alene where I live now. Like there's a real opiate that's like problem. A beautiful ski town. Fucking it's beautiful. Nice, beautiful. Beautiful. If you got they, money, if, if, if you got they money. Had, they used to have a gig there in 95. Yeah, there, there, once a month. There's I a little. Was, I worked it, and the guy, the owner yeah. came up to me. and He goes, "I got, I like you." He goes, "I'm from right. Connecticut, but I can't have as many fucks, so I can't oh. bring you back." He gave me an extra hundred dollar bill, and he was a gentleman. Yeah, they yeah. gave you a ski pass for Saturday. Oh, yeah, they kicked, they don't have it that anymore. Friday, Saturday, okay, okay. It was like a special. A comics yeah. uncle booked it, huh. and it was once a month, and I got it like in yeah. December, and I went up there. I didn't ski. Right. But the guy came out on Saturday. He's like, you know what? I just had a lot of complaints. Today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like the fucks. But I was telling Lee, Moscow, Idaho. Oh, yeah. The Vandals. So now after I become a triple guy, my next dream, you want to continue with bookers. So I moved to Seattle. And the big booker up there is John Fox. This guy had a newspaper that I read every week called Just for Laughs. I would sit there at night, coked out, crying, circling the clubs. I was going to perform at someday, the punchline in San Francisco. Ooh, Walnut Creek. I'm going to be there someday. Yep. The fucking comedy castle and fucking whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And here I am in John Fox territory. I got up to Seattle on a Saturday. I showcased at the, I did the open mic Monday. Right, Tuesday, right. Tuesday, Josh Wolf had a show on Wednesday. Yeah. And Thursday, I had a call from John Fox. You're going to Moscow, Idaho, baby, on Saturday. I hit the big time. If you think Tribble was big time, Tribble small potatoes oh, compared yeah, to yeah. John Fox. I'm hitting the big time. This is the level in your mind. Man. Oh, yeah. People now you like call David, like you don't call him Mr. Tribble no more. <laughs> You're like, Dave, what the fuck you got for me, you <laughs> fucking punk ass bitch? I was going to ask. I'm how- at the underground now, you idiot bitch. Because he's going to have I know, no, I've met, I've, seen, I've been he's to his a house. Sweetheart. I've been to his house. He's long. a sweetheart. He is. he is a nice guy. Of a guy. He, 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 knows, he knows what his gigs are. That's what I yes, always loved about yes. David. He, there's no bullshitting. He knows that he gives shit. I love to death. I shouldn't have said that. Because no, but no, was, but, it, but it, it does throw you the first time oh, you see like, time, oh, shit. He comes up to you yeah. at a comedy club. He goes, how you doing? He puts his yeah. hand yeah. up. I'm David Tribble. And you're like, oh. you're like yeah. what the fuck? Yeah, Thank God he doesn't wear glasses. Oh, my God. He's a nice, sweet guy. But and you know what? There's a lot he, of comics. He toured. He toured for years in a in a, in a little band. Yeah. He did a, all the same kind of bars and stuff for and years. that's how he learned how to yep. book those comedy rooms. Yep. I give him a lot of credit. Hey, listen. It's how I learned to cut my teeth. It's how you figure it out. You know? Yeah. I got to tell you something. The other night, Back to School was on. I wasn't feeling Rodney Dangerfield, yeah. You ever see that movie? Matthew Broderick? Yes. Uh, no, no. The other, the junkie, the uh, Iron Man. Robert Downey Jr. Downey Jr. Jesus Christ. Robert Downey Jr. is the kid with the blue hair. 
So and, oh, and Burt Young is the fucking bodyguard. He's Dangerfield's son in that? No, 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 no. He plays the best friend to Dangerfield's son. Okay, okay. Dangerfield's son is like that. the producer's nephew. Yeah. He would only give an 80 grand of his kid. He never saw him again. Right, right, right. Like, right. I never saw that guy again. Yeah, 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 yeah. You could tell it was like the kid from Karate Kid was in it. He was the really good-looking kid in that. And I'm watching this movie. My wife is in the room, my daughter, they leave. What the fuck? I'm sitting there watching this stupid movie. And I'm waiting for the business scene, the business school scene, where he tells the teacher, where'd you, where do we put our fantasy, where do we put our fictional business? And he goes, how about fantasy land? And, you know, and then they, I still watch the Kennison scene. Yeah. And Kennison, right off the bat, he's like, during the Vietnam, I mean, t t television was <laughs> completely different, man. Movies were completely, he goes, during the Vietnam, does anybody want to explain the Vietnam conflict to me? And he's like, uh. The girl's like, you know, she's a sweet girl from the valley. She's like, the Vietnamese conflict was on the north side. Yeah. Of the valley. And he goes, that's a great answer, but no, you're wrong. It was, uh, it was we we should have pushed a bunch of fucking rice eating patties. Like he just fucking yeah. goes off, and then Rodney goes, whoa, whoa. She's a kid. She doesn't even know. I mean, I'm fucking howling right now. Yeah. And he goes, okay, Mister Helper. You want to talk to me about the Korean conflict? And he <laughs> fucking goes off again. And he goes, and I started crying because I still remember being in the movie theater, watching that, being a 24-year-old kid, a loser, frustrated, watching him going, I have to be in the movie with him. Like, I don't know how, but I, I'm, I have to do this. Like, I, did, I wasn't thinking yeah, about stand-up. Yeah. Stand-up wasn't even in my... Was I even thinking about it? When did that movie come out? The 86 or 90s? 80, yeah. Stand-up wasn't... I hadn't even gone to prison yet. I haven't even gone to prison yet. Stand-up wasn't even in my horizon. But I kept looking at him in that movie. 86. I went by myself. I went to the first movie. Of, wow. Like it came out on a Friday yeah. at 11.15. I was there. 11.15, stone, Chinese food in my stomach, ready to go. Like, that was yeah, my yeah. ritual. You know yeah. what I'm saying? I didn't give a fuck. I had a ritual. I went by myself. So I didn't have to hear nobody's bullshit that you got there late, the bus never right, came. Right. No, I'm prepared. I got a plan. You're serious about it. I'm yeah. serious yeah. about it. I know where I'm sitting. Like, I know the whole fucking deal. And I still remember sitting in that movie theater, like, frustrated. Like, it took me back there for a second that the frustration I was feeling came out. Like, tears ran down my face. Like, how frustrated I was at that time in my life. That I just wanted to be in a fucking movie if I, if I could just figure out how to get there, right? Like from that seat, how I could jump into that screen. Yeah, like it fucking killed me. And in nineteen, in two thousand three, I'm beating myself around the bush. I'm auditioning for a bunch of shit, and I get a call from a, a casting director. They go, "Can you come in?" It. 2.30, you're reading for the new Rodney movie. And I'm like, what? Wow. And I get down to Sunset. It's across the street from the strip club, right up the block from the comedy store. Okay. That strip club there. On La Cienega? No, the other way. Okay. Up to the comedy store, right on Sunset, across from, right in there, there's a building yeah. where they used to cast high-level fucking movies. Wow. She cast me in something before. I went there for something big before, and I saw, like, big guys there. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. What the fuck? Like, I had been to auditions before, but this is where they offered you water. They validated your parking. They were white people. These were white people. They had parking in the back. 
Right. You, when you went there, you were there by yourself, like for a pre-read. So I went in there and I signed my name. And no shit, I hear Rodney's voice in that fucking audition. Wow. And I'm like, oh, no. But when they opened the door, it was a comic from the store. You know, he runs the comic. He runs the Laugh Factory now in Vegas. I love him like a brother. I can't think of his fucking name right now. I never worked a Vegas He one. was direct Basil. Harry Basil was huh. directing the movie. And Harry had seen me at the store. Right. So when I walked in, I saw Harry, Rodney, the casting director, and somebody else called Alan Stevens, another old school comic that had gotten me on Arliss with fucking James Coburn. Right? So yeah, I see yeah. them now. So now I'm home. I'm like, whew. So everybody's like, how you doing, Joey Diaz? How you doing, Mr. Dangerfield? I don't say nothing about it. I love him. I want to suck yeah, his yeah. dick. <laughs> I don't even get to that point. I'm not one of those fucking <laughs> suck asses. I didn't bring it. I love your movie. I, I want to say suck dick. Your dick. I want to be like a tough guy. I even like yeah. eyeballed him. Like, look at you, yo, fuck. And meanwhile, I'm coming all over myself. Like, I'm in the room with my yeah, idol. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. <clears throat> and I read for the role. I had fucking, I knew it inside and out, backwards. I knew that I got coached, the whole thing. And at the end of the audition, they go, bro, that was a great fucking job. Thank you. We'll let you know. And Rodney goes, no, we cast that role already. But you know what? They're going to call you. I'm going to find something for you. I swear to God. And a week later, they called me. I went down there, and I go, what am I doing? They go, we don't know. Rodney just said to call you that he wanted you here. So they kept calling me Coco. So yeah. Rodney goes, oh, I yeah. don't like that. He goes, I'm going to call you JoJo. So he gave me the name of JoJo, and he put me in this movie with Christy Alley, fucking the dude from Vacation. I mean, uh, it was filled with names. I mean, the movie is a Christy Alley are prime. It was a she was dis- beautiful. The movie was a disaster. But just being there, he kept me there for fucking eight days. It was the biggest paycheck I had ever seen in my life. Like, I had never been on a screen. Yeah. I'd been on movies for one day, a day and a half tops, eight days eating with everybody. Wow. And it was him. And they would, I would, you know, at the end of when you shoot, they give you a call sheet. And they, they give you a call sheet that tells you what time you come in the next day and what scenes you're doing. They would give me a call sheet, and I'd go, I'm not on the call sheet. And they go, go ask Rodney. And I would have to walk to Rodney's trailer and knock on the door. And Rodney would open the door with his fucking robe <laughs> on, with his balls hanging out. And he'd go, what? <laughs> and i go, am I working tomorrow? He's like, yeah, 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 kid, come back tomorrow. Hey, you did a great job today. Close the door. <laughs> so I figured Hi. that out, that it was, it's so weird, the journey in comedy. Yeah. Like, it took me from 1986 in my mind like in my mind from thinking it. Right. Like it made me cry and it made me emotional. And I wanted to let people know that sometimes it's just making that mental note. Yeah. Like I wasn't invited to his funeral. I wasn't one of his close friends. I wasn't in one of his specials. You know, I'm not going to tell you that. But he fucking pushed me into doing comedy in a way. Him and Andrew. Yeah. It is amazing. Like what, like when you have those little emotional, I I just started having those like uh, recently where it's like when I started I didn't have like a guy I wanted to meet. I just had an idea of what I wanted to do. And it's like, I always loved kind of independent musicians. I was more into music than comedy, but guys like, uh, um, oh, like a, like a Ben Folds, like a Elliot Smith, like these kind of quirky singer songwriters. Elliot Smith was big because he was from the Northwest and he moved down to LA at the end, but it's like, he would just do little rock clubs, but he had diehard fans who came to see him. And I'm like, right at the, at the very beginning, I've never changed my goal. I'm like, all I wanted was that. 
if I could fill up a little room, rock club, whatever, people who just came to see me, who liked, you know, my sense of humor, whatever, they wanted to be on my ride. And, uh, and for the first time, only a couple of times, but just, just last weekend, I was just doing this little club in Minneapolis, but it was like, it wasn't big. Acme? Yeah, no, it's just a little Sisyphus Brewing, this little like alt room that okay. they have. There just two nights. It's only like a little 90-seater. Perfect. But it was sold out, you know, and it was like, and I, and I have this podcast now where people come, they wear their t-shirts, and I did a live podcast during the day. And it was like, it caught me off guard, but it was like an afternoon show, but it was like people wearing the hats and the t-shirts and, and the, we did a little Q&A afterwards. And I, and, and they were just some, some lady said, thank you for doing this, whatever like that. And I almost cried. Like, and I'm not an emotional person usually outside, but it just like hit me where I'm like, fuck, this is, this is where the guy I liked, Elliot Smith. That's what, that's what he was doing. You know, like that, that's what I wanted to do when I started. And here it is. And it just feels, you know, you grind for so long. You had so many, at least I had so many self-doubt moments where I'm like, ah, it's never going to fucking happen, but whatever, I'm going to keep trying. And then when it actually happens, and for me, just on that little level, it was like, holy shit, man, if I died right now, I, this, 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 no one can take this from me. How long have you been doing comedy now as a whole? Oh, it'll, it'll be 18 years this summer. Jesus Christ. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, I started in 2000. Yeah. Yeah. Grinding triple runs, <coughs> doing, uh, and, and I had a weird arc where I had heat early on, like four years in, I got Montreal. And then I got Comedy Central, and then I got a half hour, and then I got an hour, like, boom, 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 early, but I wasn't ready. I mean, I, and I don't regret this, but, I mean, people liked it, but then I got a taste of the business where back in 2010, I had a hour special air, but it didn't get the ratings they wanted, and I kind of got thrown back to the woodpile, and it about broke me. I was just like, oh, fuck, that was my whole plan. I just My plan was, like, to get the hour, and then I thought the business would just, you know, unfold in front of me. And then I remember doing Grand Rapids, uh, which is actually one of my favorite clubs now, but I was in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, Dr. Grins. Great club. Love that club. Great club. It's one of my favorite rooms now. Great it's club. like I have a good – but it's like I had this expectation once the special came out, it would be full. And I remember doing it that like two weeks after that thing debuted and it was a half-empty room still. And I was like, fuck, man. what? I don't know what to fucking do now. Like and it's like – and then I just kind of like had to kind of reinvent. I just kept putting out, you know, albums or whatever. And then randomly, randomly for me, this new kind of media, for me, it was just this podcast I started doing a year ago that like all the things I've tried, all the stand-up things, all the albums I did – were, fans like him, but the thing that got the people to actually come to the shows was this little Time Suck podcast, and it changed. But it took, you know, 18, 18 well, it's years. It's the completion of the Jesus circle. Jesus Christ, yeah. It really is the completion of the circle. You know, when we tell these stories, like I just saw Lee's face, and you said 18 years. I know, you probably like hate to hear that. You're that, like, fuck that. that. that, that I, I get it, yeah. That puts Lee at 48. Right. Right, yeah, pretty much, yeah, forty-seven, yeah. Oh, yeah, nobody wants to hear that. Sorry, nobody wants you know to hear that. No, and, so, and it's one of the things that, that was, it's a real reality. Me back, yeah. You know, but I'm fifty-five, right? So you really have to have a real. Like I asked you, what possessed you? Yeah, who the fuck is Dan Cummings? Like your father, like Mister. Right, is Mister Cummings still alive? Uh, my dad, yeah, he's still alive. You yeah. Know, I didn't want to oh no, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, wouldn't Mister Cummings go? Can I ask you a question, son? Right. I love you. I raised you. Yeah. Your brother's a doctor. Your right. sister's a lawyer. Are you a retard? Right. You right. just borrowed snow tires from yeah. me to go to where for seventy five dollars. Yeah. Are you an idiot? What's yeah. your mother's name? Uh, Charlene. Charlene, can you get in here, please, and help me talk to this <laughs> fucking moron before I smack yeah. him? Yeah. Now he wants to do comedy. If the brother just won an award because he's a doctor, the sister's yeah. the lawyer of the year, and he wants to be funny, man. And and, and no, no, yeah. no, no, a blizzard is coming. You, yeah. you do know it's oh, evacuation. Was, like, yeah. like, and that's what we love it. Yep, that that's much. That's it. Like, it, it's going to be a blackout. That's fine. Yeah. Instead of eight hours, it's going to take me 16. I'm going to leave in 20 yeah. hours. We really believe it in our head. 
Like, people will come in the room and go, yeah. Lee, do you want me to smack the fuck out of you? Like, you're going where for right. where? Right. But you got that passion, man. You got that drive, you, you know? It's really like you think back on it and you go, what What? Oh, the yeah. fuck made me think what? Mom that was, Dan yeah. Cummings could Charlene get in here? What's my mom? This fucking moron. <laughs> Can you put Charlene? This is your side of the family. That fucking brother that plays the ukuleles <laughs> at the nightclubs. I told you not to oh. talk to him. My mom was so worried because I was the first person in my extended family on either side from any generation going back to ever go to college. Like I come from a long line of just like uh, laborers, essentially. And so it's like there was all this kind of pressure because I did well in school. But I didn't really care about it. But I, but it's like it was doctor, lawyer, because no one in my family has ever been something like yeah, that. No, no, no. It's and fucking so, ridiculous. And it was that or uh, – and then so when I just after – you know, I got a psych degree and then I just stopped. It was – my mom was just like, what the fuck? Like, you know, like all of her it's hopes crazy, and dreams. Man. She's just watching them being like thrown away. And then you have moments too where it's like – I did well in school, and then kids who didn't do as well, but buddies of mine, whatever, they're getting like corporate jobs now, and I'm on a Greyhound bus to to do 150 bucks to host an Albuquerque at Laughs for Russ Rivas for the weekend, and you know, and sleeping on a fucking couch, and and there's moments too where you're like, what the fuck am I doing? Where, where is Russ Rivas? Ho- hopefully dead. <laughs> Russ Rivas was the biggest asshole I ever worked. God, that guy, that guy was a legendary asshole. Russ Rivas, there was a guy, hippie man John Novus had out of Colorado. You may remember him out of the Denver. Beautiful person, very nice, kind of hippie vibe. And uh, nice guy, nice guy. I saw Russ do the meanest thing. Russ would belittle the comics that were working for him. I remember he picked me up. I took like over 24 hours to get there on a Greyhound, and he bitched at me about having fucking – he would talk this weird East Coast but California dude. Dude, what kind of fucking MC thinks he's a fucking feature needs me to pick him up at the fucking Greyhound station? Use, use fucking oh, comics. He flipped. He was fucking – he'd shit on you oh, all the time. He would all the gun. time. He yes. He'd pay you with a gun. And yep. Al Capone on his wall. Listen what? to me, John. And, and John Novoset had a lazy eye, a wandering yeah, yeah, eye. Yeah, 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 and, yeah. And this is the kind of person Russ was. Russ all of a sudden is talking to him. He goes, dude, what the fuck's wrong with your eye? It's all fucked up like a fucking lizard or some shit. And John, John, John goes, he looked like he was going to cry. He goes, Jesus, Russ. This is my... <laughs> he goes, this is my fucking eye, man. Okay, so... Let, let me take you back to <laughs> July of 1991. Okay. Get, no, I'm going to take you back to March of 1991. I am a doorman in a comedy club, and I am the DJ. Okay. Doorman slash DJ. Slash DJ. I got promoted because the DJ. This is Denver. Quit. This is Denver. Wits End. Oh, yeah. The worst club in the history of comedy <laughs> in the worst neighborhood at that time in okay. the world. I mean, it was just... Oh. A dead bark fucking neighborhood filled with dead white people. <laughs> dead white people, like dead. Like they could they weren't good enough for Denver and Boulder didn't want them. Nobody wanted them, so they lived in Westminster. This is thirty years ago. There's only a mall there. That's okay. it. The mall was great because I was in the halfway house and it was I used to work on 104th and Thornton. And the mall had a fucking magic store that had those cigarette loads that you put into people's cigarettes. So I would crack people with those. If I hated you, I would fill your cigarette. That was the only thing West yeah. Wisdom was good for. Was that one magic store at the mall? That's it. The magic store at the mall. So I'm the house fucking DJ. You come to me. You, you tell me what time you want, what right. music you want. And then I got promoted to the bar back. But okay. while in that time, <clears throat> I met a young comic named Roger Beavis, who was a Subaru salesman in Colorado Springs, Colorado. 
who was married to a beautiful blonde woman. He was still married to her. No. I think right now. No. Oh, different blonde woman he's married different to. Woman. Okay. And she was very cute. He was very handsome. Yeah. Spanish kid. A little bit of potential. You know, I didn't know much about him. Charisma, some stage presence? Yeah, he had some stage presence. He drove a Justy, which was a three cylinder Subaru. <laughs> and we became friends. And yeah. when I quit Wits End, in fact, he got me a couple gigs opening for him. Okay. You know, this went on for about a year. I would, pick, I would take gigs from Todd Jordan. I would take gigs from him, Rick Kearns. I had like five headliners that yeah. were throwing me gigs, and I was hustling. So I was breaking even every month. Yeah. So, you know, I moved to Seattle. I, I moved to L.A. I, I'm in L.A. now. I'm at the store. I'm a regular at the store, and I'm featuring in El Paso. Okay. And somebody says to me, are you friends with Russ Brevis? And I go, fuck yeah. Are you kidding me? <laughs> me and Russ used to do gigs together. And he goes, call him up next time and do that week first and then come here. And I go, that's genius. Yeah. And he goes, as a matter of fact, here's his number. He knows you're here this week. So I call Russ up and I go, Russ, Joe Diaz. He goes, great to hear from me. I go, Russ, I'm not looking for nothing from you. I'm working over now. El Paso. And he says, next time I could tie it in. Can you give me a feature spot? He goes, you got to send me a tape. I go, are you fucking kidding me? Send you a tape. I've been friends with you for fucking, at that time it was 91, now it's 98. I go, don't worry about it, brother. Thank you. And I hung up. And then I just heard horror story Dude, he was upon the worst. horror story upon yeah. horror story. Yeah. And it was ego based on, yeah. I'm a headliner in Vegas. Like that's yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. That was his big claim. Like, you don't understand who the fuck I am. I'm a headliner at the Mirage the second Thursday of the month, okay? You'll you never get that. Was like, there a guy named David Testro that was out of the yeah, at that time? Yeah, fat guy. Yep, fat, yep. Let, fat me tell guy. You, let me tell a you harmonica something. player? Greg Mann. Nice love, dude. Nice dude. Greg, I saw Russ dress him fucking down. It was the one of the, next to the eye comment, one of the other saddest things I saw Russ do. It was the first time anyone had sold out, or the, the club had been sold out. He it, used it, to it, rock Dave Testro. Listen, you hear from Uncle Joey. Dave Testro would break out that harmonica. Yeah. And would have that room oh, rocking at the end. Kill it. He was a jolly fat guy. That yep. one night yep. he was there. That he was the headline of the night at the open mic when they flipped the beer cap at me. And I told the kid, "You flip another fucking beer cap at me, we're gonna have a problem." And he flipped the beer cap at me, and I said, "Fuck your mother!" The kid ran up to the stage, <laughs> and I hit him in the head with the microphone. It was one of those microphones with <laughs> batteries in it. Yep, there yep, was yep. blood everywhere. Oh. He was the headliner. He had a follow. Funny, me. hilarious. So now, two years later, I had done a thousand gigs with Testro. Yeah. Now five years later, yeah. I'm working with him in Portland. Yeah. And he's like, he comes up to me, he's like, "Hey." You're not going to hit nobody in ah, the fucking uh, microphone tonight. Nicest guy. Nicest, nicest guy. Very guy funny. You know, professional. He happened. He was there when, like, the Russ had opened up some new location in Albuquerque, and it sold out that night. And David, all David did was just say that he was, oh, this is cool, man. I'm happy to be here when it sold out. Somehow in Russ's fucking asshole mind, he takes that as David is trying to tell him that he's the reason he sold out. And he would do this thing. He would gather it wasn't enough for him to belittle somebody. He would gather the wait staff to witness the belittling. Oh. And he starts going, he's like, dude, you what you fucking think you had something to do with this? You fucking hack? You fucking think? Get over, hey, come here, come here. He's like calling to the wait staff. This fucking piece of shit thinks he's so this is before the show. He was I was like, Jesus. No, it was it was He I, was a sociopath. Yeah, no. That's, ah, that's, my God. That and, I, and I heard of his career as fucking tanked. And I'm like, he's one of those. Oh guys no, he had no like, he had, he owned the club. Right. And then he went away. And, and then, I'm like, God. And then you know no people did him favors because he owned the yep, club. And it's all gone own, now. When you own a club, a club owner and go, Hey, book my boy. Yeah. 
I'll give you a Christmas weekend here. There's a lot of guys who've made a career yep. out of doing some kinky shit in the business. I don't want to say no, no names, but they've done kinky shit, and that's how they made a business for you, and that's their business. But uh, I, I, was, I hope Russ is opening up for David Testro somewhere right now. I hope he's <laughs> David's crushing uh, it somewhere. The, P- and Russ is the whole lapse chain. The, listen. Oh, Scotty Goff in, 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 in the, Tucson, the, too. Tucson, the, the, the club that was the best one, was he the Santa Fe last or it was I never no, did that one. It was Albuquerque. The owner of Albuquerque Before Russ? Died in a motorcycle accident. Ah. On New Year's Day, New Year's Eve, a drunk yeah. driver hit him. Yeah. That guy was supposed to be what was keeping Laughs alive because he was booking the Laughs Club. Yeah. And he was a great guy. Huh. And ah. then they sold that one to him. And then there was there was there was Albuquerque, Tucson. Yeah. And then there was another one, and then it became the one in Colorado Springs. I never worked that one. Me neither. Yeah, no, I yeah. worked it when it was Jeff Valdez and Judy Brown was the book. Judy Brown, that's right. She came out of Colorado before Judy, she was Marmel. And she would try to fucking make you take a stand-up course for you to be to get on stage and do the open mic, 35 bucks. Don't fucking tell me my business, Jeff. Did you, did you, you, you ever work the Tri-Cities? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I got the, you're going to love the this name, story. What's the name of the place? Well, now it's a bowling alley called Atomic. Uh, it used, Atomic to, Bowl, be a it used to be a red. It used to be a red lion. Or no, a double tree. Or it was both. Uh, it was it a double was a, tree and it was a red lion. And the name of the room was the Volcano Room. Is that what the bar was? Lee, it was the bar in the hotel. Let me tell you something. Oh, you I, I got a story you're going to love you for looked at When you looked at clubs in Washington State, it said the Underground Giggles. The volcano room. <laughs> I, and I'll never forget the first time somebody said, Call this lady if you want to work the volcano room. I expected this fucking grandeur right, shit. Right. And it was just a hotel with god awful fucking food. <laughs> it was like that room that they book, not in Nyack. There's a room they book in one of those other New York City towns that you go up there and it's just a gas station the whole weekend. You're in the basement. It's cold. Even with the heat on, you're freezing in the winter. They only do the club in the winter time, yeah, because everybody goes to it. And you're next to a hotel Friday and Saturday. And <laughs> yeah, just a two night. Yeah, and you got to take a bus up there, then a cab, a thirty dollar cab ride to this gig, and they would pay you five hundred bucks for the weekend. And I, they would only book me in January. I would have to fly back from here. Wow. Go to New York and then take a bus up there and then. And the whole you hope you break what even. the fuck was the club? Bananas. Bananas was. I remember there was Jersey, a Bananas in Jersey, that, which yeah. is now it's it's. They say they got new owners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now the guys yeah, from Helium new, took it the over. Helium took it over. So that'd be but, interesting. But that Tri Cities one. That was the first road gig I ever did outside outside of Spokane. It was the first paid. Who gig. booked it then? When I, when I did it, it was um, a guy named Nick Tyson and Keith Stubbs. Wow. Nick Tyson out of Spokane, Keith Stubbs out of uh, you know, was part wow. of that little short lived laughs chain they had up there. But uh, you know, it switched. It was like triple before that. I think it went to triple afterwards. Chris Warren, I think had it. It would like juggle around. Chris Warren, <laughs> but where is Chris Warren? Uh, uh, he's I don't know. His mom went to prison for something. He had some crazy family business. His, his mom was like British. She would have a British accent. And then she went to embezzling or something we heard. And Chris owed a bunch of people money. He got real ugly with Chris before he left Spokane. It was all his nightmare. He had a, he had a, his headshot was him with machine guns with two oh, bitches yeah. and was, shit. He was crazy. He was a little It nuts. was crazy. He had his karate trophies. But he, uh, <laughs> but I, Brian Kellen was another, he's the guy who's in Denver now, but he, he was doing, he was the headliner. I was the, <laughs> I was, I'll never forget this said either. I was the feature. I do 30 minutes cold. I went up 
and I did 30 minutes to absolute silence. I didn't get a laugh, not one laugh in 30 minutes. And I was just like sweat going down your back where you just feel it in your ass crack and you just did that flop sweat. And I just like, but I, I left stage thinking like, ah, well, whatever. It's a small crowd. Yeah, you know, there's they, the shit, you know, they suck. It's, it's the crowd. <laughs> Brian Kellen goes up and murders for an hour. Like he brought a life out of these people that I didn't think was even remotely possible. And I was too dumb at that time to know that when you have a horrible set, just fucking get out of there. Go hide. Like leave. But I thought etiquette was you stood by the door <laughs> and you thank people for like watching the show. So I'm standing next to Brian after this train wreck. And I'll never forget this. This one dude comes up. And I'm not making this story. He goes to Brian. He goes, oh, man. He's like this rednecky guy. He's like, oh, man. He goes, you were funny. He's like, man, I'd love to get you a beer. Holy shit, you were funny, man. And then he sees me standing next to him. And he goes, and you, oh, you should do what he does. That's literally what he said to me. You should do what he does. And he doesn't even think he's being oh, me. Oh, those rooms are brutal. Oh, I just died inside oh, no, when, no, when he, he told died. me that. <laughs> those those little runs up there, you realize <sighs> in that fucking uh, potato run when you do uh, the Air Force Base and they show you- Mountain your, Home. Your room is a fucking barrack. I never actually did Mountain Home. I know it's Mountain Home, room, but I never did that room. It's a room the size of- that door right there, <laughs> that's what you have. That couch, <sighs> you hang your clothes up to have a little tiny TV, and your shower's down the fucking hallway. You're like, Jesus Christ, where the fuck is my life going? I'm in an Air Force base. I mean, it was just, they give you food coupons and shit. Yeah. I mean, they just put you through so many different scenarios. Yeah. But if you look back at it, it prepares you for this today oh for sure for sure there's nothing that can phase you there's you, so many scenarios that you get yeah. fucked with yep that it prepares you for this shit later on like yeah this Thickens bounces your skin. off your shoulders oh yeah it's weird i bumped into slash once in 1998 in vegas i was opening up for rogan at the riviera the gnr guitarist slash like these yeah, wow yeah. man he was there for like oh, a shit. comic book i don't know who other slash would be i guess but yeah yeah he was like there for like a comic <laughs> book festival or something wow like he, you know, they paid him to show. Oh, up I see. I see. GNR yeah. wasn't touring. It was '98. Yeah. And I did. And in those days, I used to see him a, a lot around town at different comedy shows. He would come to the one that we did next to the room Jay Davies had way before. You know, the other night we met that kid John Adams. Mm -hmm. I've known John Adams since 1998. I met him in that room. I'm talking about. John Adams was my manager. My manager took him with him when he was at his original agency. And John Adams was a TV guy. You don't, you just don't recognize him. He was on TV for 12 years. He was on like two syndicated shows because Jeff Gatlin was one of the best managers in the business. Jeff Gatlin hated the road. Jeff Gatlin knew that if he had you, it's for TV and film huh. to get you on a TV show for six years. That was his fucking goal. He, when you talk to Jeff about the road, he'd go, I don't even want to hear about it. Yeah. I don't even want to hear about it. You can do spots at the store. I need you in town. Huh. And that's what he did. He made that kid one of his examples. But I met that kid at the Union. It was called the Union. And I saw Slash there like a couple times. Yeah. That's when you'd see Vince Vaughn out at night. Wow. At open mics with Ahmed Ahmed. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's yeah. when Swingers was hot. And you're like, what the fuck? And uh, I saw him in Vegas. And I'll never forget this. I... Couldn't sleep, you know, in Las Vegas. I, I I didn't really have weed. Rogan didn't smoke weed. 
So I got up and went for a walk. I, I didn't have money to gamble then. I barely yeah. had money to be there. I would eat in the employee cafeteria, Lee. Lee like, likes all is, that. Isn't it the uh, leftover from the buffet or something? Oh, yeah. Oh. With bite marks <laughs> and the turkey legs and shit. You like buffet. Remember when you used to go Not to Vegas? leftovers. You're going to love buffets when you work Vegas as an opener, boy. When they give you that card to the employee fucking dining room. <laughs> and you see cake. You see cake with missing icing. Because somebody has scrubbed their finger through that. You know what I'm saying? That's always a real treat, ain't it? That's always a boost for your comedy career. <laughs> when you, They give you the old red meat, that mafia meat. But you're so fucking hungry. And it's free. You don't give a fuck what you're putting and into it, your body. And that stuff keeps you hungry so much later because you don't want to go back there, too. I think yes. it motivates you. Where, now it would be fun if I could find two guys. If you didn't need it, it'd be fun if you didn't run. need it. Right. If you do a if you did it for, run, for fucking around, two weeks in the car, yeah. yeah. Good weather. Stanhope would do that sometimes. Yeah, you have to do that. Yeah, it would. It's like we go to the fourth wall a lot. I go to an open mic. Okay, up the yeah. corner here, no booze. Five minutes, five dollars. Yeah, but you, it takes you. It just back. reminds you, yeah, what you you working. see that you have what these guys want, right? And how lucky you are. I know. That you stuck with it. And these guys yeah. have no idea yeah. what they're about to walk into. Every time I go to an open mic there, I count the room. And in my mind, I do the math automatically. Out of the eight people, four of them are going to quit. Right. Two of them are going to go to Montreal, and two of them are really going to be big-time stars. Who is it going to be out of the eight yeah. people? Yeah, yeah. Who is it going to be? That's why... I love, we were talking about the show, and right. I love people like Kishi. I love, listen, yeah, it feels good when somebody comes up to you after a show, and they, they say, hey, man, you had a great show. That feels fucking great. Yeah. And it, it feels great when somebody comes up to you and talks to you about the podcast. Yeah. That's a great feeling. But you know what feels even better? There's two things. When somebody comes up to you and says, hey, man, I saw you in Seattle, oh, June of '98, yeah. and I knew that you were gonna be. Yeah, I get those once a year. Yeah, yeah. At the comedy store, I'll get that at a club, or somebody yeah. will pull me aside and go, "You remember that club with the parrot in the background in fucking Washington that you right, guys used to do right. on Wednesday night? Yeah, I was the manager there, and you used to make me laugh back then. Yeah, you know that's yeah. one thing yeah. I liked when people say. But the second thing I like when people say is. This year, I went to see Jim Gaffigan, Rogan. Right, right, right. I went to see Dan Cummings. I went to see Burt Kreischer. Right. I went to see fucking Kate Quigley. I went to see fucking Sarah Silverman. I love when people say that. Yeah. I really get off when people say that because I know you're a student of the game. Yep, yep. When Lee got on stage for the first couple times, I'm not telling you Lee's going to be Richard Pryor, but he was a lot better than I was when I got on stage the first couple times. Why? Because for the last 10 years. Right, he's been a student. Now that he's 30. So for the last 15 years, he's been watching comedy. Right. And listening to comedy an average of Lee, five hours a week since you've been 15. Probably, uh, yeah. I, would, I, always, I always watch specials, listen to CDs. That's how wow. it starts. That's how it starts. So I never did that. I never did that. You did, so, you know, no, I was a kid. I, mean, like, I was a fan of fucking no. Pryor, like yeah. uh, Bicentennial Nigger. Yeah, oh, yeah, I know that up now. You know, yeah. I was there when, like, yeah. like I, I remember still going to the store and getting Bicentennial Nigger. 
Right, right. Going, Jesus That's the one with him. It's like the American flag kind of in the background, yeah, the right? Background with the shirt off with the and shirt. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm like going, mm-hmm. what the fuck is this? And then, you know, seeing David Brenner on TV. There was no yeah. internet. You had an encyclopedia. You know what I'm saying? And then, like, somebody, when I was about maybe 20, turned me on to Lenny Bruce. Oh, wow. And I was like, this yeah, is man. crazy. And then when I was 15, somebody turned me on to Letterman. And our thing was he always knew what night comics were going to be on. Yeah. So no matter what I did on those yeah. nights, I think it was like Wednesdays or Thursdays or Tuesdays, no matter what I did those nights, I didn't get high. Right. I would always have a cocktail or two and slip by his house at 1130, and he would bring down leftovers his mom would make, and we would watch Letterman. And we would, that's when Letterman was fucking 82, yeah. Yeah, 81. Yeah, yeah, Letterman was a fucking bad motherfucker back then. And that spiked my interest. Wow. In comedy, Lenny Bruce, Carlin a little bit. Yeah, he's my favorite. But not as yeah. much as Pryor because right. I, I like that crazy language. The raw emotion yeah, and everything. I like the drugs yeah. and I like yeah. all that shit. My, mine, was, I never, mine was Saturday Night Live. We didn't have many, it sounds like so uh, hokey, but like in Riggins where I grew up, this little tiny Idaho town, we didn't have cable and things for a while. Like we didn't have very many channels, so you could get like network channels, like like the big three, NBC, CBS, ABC, but for a lot of places of house, like like you weren't <laughs> able to get like they literally didn't have cable. Like they didn't run it to that town. And so NBC, Saturday Night Live, that was my comedy exposure for the week was watching Saturday Night Live. And I would watch it with my grandma. because uh, for most of my childhood it was my my mom. My dad was up in Alaska and it was like and, and I was my was mom was he a working. Uh well my parents divorced when I was young. He did he went up in construction and stuff up there okay. and different things. And uh but like I would just go to my grandma Betty's and we'd watch Saturday Night Live every Saturday. But then, you know, as I got older, you grew up in a little town like that. You don't know anybody. I didn't know anybody who had a white collar job, let alone an entertainment job. Oh, no, no. So it seemed so beyond fantasy that I just went to college and like tried to get like a quote unquote tradition, just some kind of degree. Just getting a degree was the goal. And then I did sketch comedy, but I just never thought of it again, never entertained any of that as a job possibility. Like, who the fuck am I? It's like you just do it. And then, uh, I did stand up was what was available when I was just trying stuff. I didn't like my social uh, social work kind of career that was I was trying to get into, and I just went and tried different things. But I, but I'm lucky. I feel like I was lucky. I didn't study comedy because I think I would have been intimidated. Like because I I'd watched sketch and I so I you know had some idea of like what you could do I guess comedically in some way on a stage you know in some form. But I didn't. I hadn't really watched much stand up, and so uh, I think it was easier in a way where. I think if, I would have been worried. I don't know if you ever worry about this, Lee, but if you like when you watch all the greats, is there an expectation of you're going to try and be great immediately? Because I, cause I didn't have that. I just like, okay, let's just go go fuck around on stage. I wasn't thinking like about you know Pryor and Carlin and then the modern you know greats and stuff like that because I didn't know their stuff. Well, that, I mean, I think it helped me back a little bit because I've had people asking me. I've been working with Joy for six years, seven yeah. years. I've, people have always asked, and I had a couple people say I should try it out. And I always say, oh, I'm not that kind of funny. Like, I, like I would see all these amazing. I I watch every special, so right. I, I see all these great. Because you're seeing them with their prime. You're not seeing them start. Right. It, yeah. It's very different. Yeah. Yeah. Do you? But you now you get though that all those guys fucking sucked when they first started. Like everyone goes through a shitty period. Yeah. I I still think it really hasn't hit me how much how much time it's gonna take. To be honest, like like even still in my head, I'm like, eh, maybe five years. But it, like it's just you might though yeah every everybody's path is different you might you no, might but it, but it's, accelerate faster but it's uh 
I, I don't know if I want to necessarily. Like, I'm really enjoying, like, I've been going to the one, I've been going to the fourth wall, and I'm just now starting to do shows in other places. Like, the I good did, thing yeah. about comedy and Lee is that I know one thing about Lee, that this my, comedy always opens up your horizons. Once you do comedy and you jump off that cliff, now you're a different person. Mm-hmm. You really are a different person. So if you're looking at me, asking me, do I think Lee's going to be up there Richard Pryor or not? Yeah. I don't think so. I think Lee is going to shine. Yeah. He's going to take stand-up, and after a year or two, he's going to take it in a different direction. He's going to see something. That's what I see. I think his, he's he's got Woody Allen type. Right. Right. Comedy without the fucking door, you know, daughter. <laughs> Let me give some shout outs real quick here. To my man Kevin Harvick, super fan. Alex Ramirez is okay. Louis the Kid always. Manny Cotas, Damian Hernandez, Keegan Hopper, Hyro, Miskin Ryback, Mike Ryback, Mike Ryback. You know I love you. I can't see with my with my regular but and the church leader, Mr. Scott Cunningham. Always running shit over there online, letting bitches know what time it is. But no, that was uh, I, 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 it, it's it. People have to see if you're in a rush with anything. All right, it's not just stand up. I love, I love, I love watching uh, fly by night people. In my 27 years of comedy. Yeah. I've seen so many fly-by-night people. Right. And what people don't understand today is I've seen so many. I've I've been exposed to so many fly-by-night people that you know the the symptoms. Right. You know the opening lines. You know the symptoms. You know, we get approached three times a week for something. I get approached 20 times a week for something. And I know the wording. I know the the you know it already. You yeah, smell yeah, it. yeah. You've been here, and you. It's weird that sometimes I fuck with them and I let them play their game. I let them think, yeah, no worries, blah 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 blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now we'll do that. We'll do that. And they don't even know how to handle it because they didn't prepare for that. <laughs> they were prepared for getting shut down. I threw their game completely the fuck off. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've seen. I've seen so many shysters. Like Lee told me that he was thinking about going to work for a service that they offered the, the, the they they bought the, they bought content from the stand up and they put it on the site and people click you know i've heard right in 20 in 20 years in la we've heard every scam right right you young comics that think your wording i smell if you don't have the dedication yeah. that i just talked about when mr cummings here yeah. i could smell it on you yeah yeah yeah, I smell it on people. Yep, they it's don't like, want to pay I bait you. I bait you. I let you think that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. I know who's doing their homework. Right. Because you did the homework. Yeah. So you know when the homework has been done. Right. Right. Eighteen years is fucking. You know, it's I've in been, your blood at that point. I've been doing comedy twenty-seven years. Yeah. So eighteen years for me was ninety-one. So I was two thousand one. And then plus eight is what? Two thousand nine. That's when I started coming into my own. Yeah, like eighteen years was yeah. where I started taking a gamble on storytelling. I had done it before. Yeah, but I wasn't sure about it. 
Then Ari Shafi opened up the door a little bit. Yeah. And yeah. I listened to a Showtime special that Whitney Cummings had done. Not Whitney. Whitney Cummings had produced, where she introduced a bunch of comics. Okay. And one night, I went into my bathroom. I was taking a shit, but I left the volume up. Yeah. And I heard this comic without watching him. I heard his material. Right. And by hearing his material, I realized how bad I was because he was just doing one-liners. And they're funny, and they take you to a certain distance in comedy. Right. But after a certain point, those one-liners, you'll end up in triple runs the rest of your life. Yeah, there's very few, like the the Hedberg type and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, Shafir changed me, too, man. One of those yes. first um, storytelling shows. Yes. before, Long before it was a TV yes. show at the lab uh, with Eddie Pepitone. It was a revenge theme. And that one show changed my comedy trajectory because my first two albums are more joke-based. And then I did this story about fucking, <laughs> about fucking with these dishwashers in college, like just doing this ridiculous prank that, that I would I would do these crazy pranks. But this went on for like a, like four months. This crazy prank. It was a fucking horrible. How far I pushed these people. But I and the, I did the revenge story. Was I'm like my theme was uh, or basis of the story was I'm like I, this guy should fucking get me. Like I'm the one who deserves to have revenge. Like I fucked with a stranger horrifically for like almost half a year. But then I started telling that on the road afterwards and i liked it so much more than the rest of my material because it was just this real shit that was interesting it naturally changes you. it changes it, it changed you. all the future albums it changed my whole career completely because yep. the first time my story told on stage was at the belly room i caught mitzi on a night of yeah. weakness and i go mitzi <laughs> can i do stories from a cuban street wow i had a show called stories from a cuban street. yeah it had to be 1998 i was into comedy seven years yeah and I was basically doing one-liners like Rodney and trying to be cute up on stage with dirty jokes. And I took that upstairs, and it changed my fucking life forever. Yeah. Because I stayed on stage for two hours just telling stories about my childhood. Right. It was the first time I saw people's jaw drops. It's riveting. A real story. It's riveting. I saw people laugh. I saw people cry. Yeah. It was fucking amazing. Like I went out and got really high that night because I had taken myself yeah. to a complete different level. I had forced my hand. Yeah. Like, this was way out of who the fuck I was. Like, if I was only supposed to fight, yeah. three, I was only prepared for three rounds of fighting. Right. I fought just, seven rounds yeah. of fighting. Yeah. And unprepared. Right. Which really takes ganas, which mentally takes yeah. you somewhere else. Yeah. Which... uh and I still wouldn't storytell. I still was fucking petrified. Of right? Because it is scary. It's it, a fucking scary it, feeling. At first, when you talk about it, like, <laughs> I just did, I did some little, oh, to get people to kind of join this little part of the podcast I have, I did like a, an album that you got when you signed up for this like bonus content, kind of premium thing. But it was like, I did two albums I recorded in one weekend. It like I did one album Friday night, one album Saturday night. I just recorded two different sets. And I didn't even realize how long it was. But I can't imagine it's the beginning. This one bit I have, it's 15 minutes long. And it's just one story. Which for me, like in the beginning, there's no fucking way. Because no fucking way. what I liked about short jokes early on was it's it's a confidence thing. It got you there to the point, And, if and you, you got to laugh. Yep. And you got out of the woods quickly. Yep. And if it doesn't work, oh you're, on the, you're on to the next joke in 30 seconds. When you do a story that's 15 fucking minutes long and you set it up and you know the payoff doesn't come, and the real payoff, a, and you for 15 minutes, you can't bail. And, and that commitment freaks people the fuck out when they're starting because they're like, well, shit, what if they don't, what if they don't like it? And it's like, but you have you just have to reach this point where you're, you're almost so broken in a way that you don't give a fuck what they like. You, you, you're just willing to push what you like on them 
and you and you have to be okay with it not working and just and, and that's and that's fine and, be, and ironically that makes it work so much better you know my first two years of comedy all i did was race to the light yeah yeah that's what i played race to the light and you walk off of, i would not shut up until the fucking light turned and then i'd run out of there like a fucking felon being chased <laughs> fucking by 20 cops it was the uh, club owners would go, God, you got to slow down. Right. Because it was just, I just wanted to get a laugh. Yeah. I wanted to quickly get a laugh. And if you keep talking, you can't hear the silence. Oh. Petrify the silence in the beginning, right? And the bombings, like yeah. the early bombings. Like I took a bombing at a fucking private function. <laughs> I, some guy saw me at the New York Comedy Club and he's like, what are you charging? Is it 1500 Right. He goes, come to this address on Saturday night. I went up there. There's no microphone. Yeah. I was not prepared right. whatsoever. I was doing comedy two years. Yeah. And today, I would have crushed that right. fucking. From the top of a rock, I would have got up there and done my material yelling. <laughs> and I would have banged them out for fucking 10 Gs. Yeah. I would have yeah. done the fucking yeah. thing like a savage. I would have had them the bikini tops. It would have been crazy. <laughs> The old men, I would have had them cry. I did not know how to control an audience from yeah. 30 feet away without a microphone. Right. It, I was in between a pool and them, and they were all drinking champagne, uh. and I'm sitting there with no microphone. But yet, you know what prepares you for this? Dribble. Experience. <laughs> yeah. Dribble. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, without that, it is interesting, though, the journey of it, where it's like I've gotten into that now, where it's like without all those lessons and stuff, like, it's funny what brings you, somebody just asked me when I did that little live podcast last week, they did little questions, and somebody was like, what made you think of Time Suck? What made you want to do this? And I just, in a moment of like, just, well, just being honest, whatever, I go, failure. I go, years and years of failure is what created Time Suck. You know, and it's just because you learn, but then you learn from all those failures, and had I not had all those failures, I wouldn't be able to pull off you know, like I do, like a times like it's like an hour and a half with no with no guests. There's no way I could have done that and kept it interesting without, the without of a so many years of fucking up and making horrible decisions, but learning and learning and learning and learning. And then it's uh, yeah, yeah, it is. And it then, is. you know what? This doesn't just pertain to comedy. Oh yeah, I guess yeah. This just pertains life to any art that you fucking choose. Like yeah, you know, I see. And I've repeated this a thousand times. I hate that they make you make a pick a major when you're 18 that's not all fair. right you don't know what the fuck you want to do you just hear what the, your stupid fucking friends say at starbucks right and right you repeat what the fuck they say yeah you're three yeah. years in and what are you gonna go tell your father the bad news that you want to be a chef and fucking benny hunter you're gonna go fucking play the drums hey, right you know it's a horror show right it's killed more people than anything because making bad choices yeah you try, but yeah. that's all a part of this fucking journey right to get good at something you got to do you got to make bad fucking choices. Yeah. And you know what really hurts? When they hurt your pocket. Oh, yeah. That's when you really learn a lesson. It's right. not when you, oh, well, my girlfriend left me because I don't play the flute. That's something right. completely different. <laughs> Wait till your girlfriend left you and stole 22 Gs. You're oh, out yeah. of bed. That's two different fucking lessons. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I yeah. Mean, it's, uh, I mean, that's motivation, especially like, well, I got two kids and stuff now, but when you, know, I remember like, uh, and you I, live back in Idaho. I live back in Idaho. You raised now. them in Idaho legitimately. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, man. No Things drama. Are, you nope. do your podcast in Idaho. Yep. Yep. In a fucking back room of a mansion that you bought for $125,000. <laughs> you got a pool. You got a, uh, a fucking doorman named Melvin. <laughs> you got a Mexican named Paco with a shirt that says, I love America on. No, nope, but. He mows it, the lawn. You live like a fucking king. I mean, we, I mean, we, yeah. 
yeah, we live good up there and stuff now, but it's like, but it is crazy. Like you talk about the financial motivation, you know, and like when you have those moments, I mean, I remember reading this book early on. It's uh, David Mamet, some playwright. Uh, I'm sure theater people are like, oh, it's fucking David Mamet. How do you not? But he wrote some book about uh, truth and lies, something. It was for actors. But one of the main piece of advice I took from that, he goes, the paraphrasing, don't give yourself an out. Don't give yourself a backup plan because if you do, you'll take it because this business is so fucking rough. And I thought about that. Like, I remember thinking, like, uh, you know, if I would have had an out, you know, six years ago, I had things where it was just a low point and touring and stuff, two kids, you know, like uh, money in the bank was almost gone. Calendar was looking fucking Not dead. Not to interrupt you. Yeah. I want you to close your eyes and honestly tell me. I'll give you one minute. Give me a number of how many comics could have been stars that you personally know if they would have given up their day job. How many people would have been stars if they would have given up their day job? Yeah. I know three of them right now that if they would have taken a chance and really believed in who the fuck they were, they would have been on TV right now in some sort of way. I'm not saying they would have been a star. I know three people right now who are that funny. Yeah. Who continue to have it, and it's the biggest fear that you could have is that safety net. There's there's one name that keeps dominating. I mean, I, I want to say, but no, no, I don't but, want you to but, say yeah, the name. He had a financial advisor how many, job. How many numbers? How many people do you know that you feel in your heart, if they gave up their day job, would be making a living today in Los Angeles? I could name just based on talent, just based on three talent that I fucking respect. Right. That I would go fuck. I wish I had that specific gift. I wish I could write like that. I right. wish I had that eye for yeah. this. Yeah, I got two in my head. Two yeah. in my head. Yeah, like, uh, yep. I know them yeah. personally, and I want to punch them right in the <laughs> fucking mouth. But right. they, they always thought that that, they always thought that insurance yeah. was the key to that. And they, yep. you don't understand that if you don't cut that out of your life, that oh, uh, yeah. umbilical cord. Oh man, it's, nothing motivates you like fear. For yeah, me, at least, no. nothing motivates me like fear. When I'm like, how the fuck? Yeah, you do your best I, work. Am I going to help you in the corner? Yep. yep you gonna do, listen, yep. if I put you in a corner and I put a knife to your throat, right? You're going to do your best work. Oh yeah, you're, that's you're, you're going to be fucking focused. Yeah, that's when you become yeah. a Jew. You know, crab maga. You're fucking. You know, you're doing elbows. Your cousins <laughs> with kichi over here throwing sidekicks to the fucking neck. Yeah, yeah. You don't yeah. do your best work. Right. When you're sitting there smoking oh, cigarettes and somebody's rubbing your feet. Yeah. You do your best work it, when it, yeah. you know else when you do your best work? When you don't want to hear Joey Diaz or your father or your mother or Kishi or right. Lee say I told you so. Right. Oh, no, oh that's what sure. that's the one that makes my dick hard. For sure. That's the one where okay. Yep. I don't yep. even say a yep. word. I don't even yep. reply to you. I don't even reply to you. I just make a mental note and I keep it in my mind. Yeah. It's the weirdest fucking thing. And it happened. You keep mentioning the podcast. Yeah. It happened with this. It happened with the original podcast and now with Lee. It's happened with 10 years ago. The right. people that are talking to me yeah. wouldn't even let me in their room. Right, right, right. They would, they would ask Rogan, why would they bring me and Ari on right. the road with them? We were right. two disgusting animals. Now, and now look at the two of you. Square business. Yeah. And I remember hearing all those negative comments. Now, I could be, again, you know, the other day I got into some beef with a woman online, and then she revealed that she had been raped twice. And, and, I, and I go, listen, I understand the anger in your heart, 
But until you lose that anger in your heart, you never move forward in this life. I was angry right. at the world too. God took my mother. I thought there was no more God. I, I, I had that chip on my shoulder for 20 years. I didn't even yeah. become funny until I lost that anger. Wow. There's so many factors that we put in our lives. Anger, yeah, we, fear. Yeah. That once you go away from that shit, you just go, you know what, done. I'm going to sleep. I'm going to fucking sleep. It's over. You're not going to fuck with me no more because that's what keeps yeah. you up at night. When you're tossing yeah. and you're turning and you're going up and you're smoking cigarettes. Yeah. Oh, what am I going to do? How am I going to pay like, the feel rent? Like you're speaking to me right now. No, yeah. Oh, no, no. I'm, it's horrible. I'm, it's I'm, getting, I'm getting some more. It's horrible when you fucking yeah. first take that chance off the cliff. Yep. You're like, I'm going. But, I'm gonna, so, but And 18 years in, I still fight it. I still I'm getting. I love it. I I'm, love I'm getting it. some more. Oh, some like uh, new ink or whatever like that in a few weeks. And I've been wanting this tattoo forever. And fear is your only God. It's Rage Against the Machine yeah, lyric. See, that's what I'm saying. But I'm having like that big with some imagery and stuff put on one of my arms because. I'm like, I have to still fight that to this day to take new chances. And, and it's like, I'll feel that like, no, people aren't going to like, no, I can't like, I st I'll still fight kind of betting on myself, you know, like that just because, but, the, but then I always, you know, in the end, I'll take that chance. But it's like, yeah, man, yeah, you have to get out of your own way. It's so fucking hard in this business sometimes because you, you have to, yeah, yeah. And life. Hey, listen, and life man. in general. Life in general, not this business, I guess. I'm happy yeah. you got to come on. I know that you requested to come on a few times and I already have guests and shit. And we were funky with Wednesdays, but I'm happy I got to get I'm you. I'm so on. thankful. Yeah, you had me you know, on. I want you know, like I'm, I want people to know you're in Brea this weekend. You're yeah, close to home. Yep. You're not doing anything. Swing by Brea. That's a great fucking club. Yeah. Uh, I think he's got shows Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Two shows Sunday. Oh, just one show Sunday. Okay, but so but uh, just yeah, one show mm -hmm. Sunday. Mm -hmm. Go see him. And the podcast is, is there. Is time suck? And it's just uh, a Where deep. Where can they find it? They can find it. Uh, there's an app. There's a Time Suck app, but it's on you know iTunes, Google Play, all that. And it's just one subject each week. One a week. Explored. One a week. Serial killer, historical figure. It's all the same kind of research you would get in an academic podcast, but it's more like every person language. It's like you know I'm gonna a fair amount of profanity. I'm gonna throw in some jokes and try to make it fucking interesting for someone who might fall asleep during a normal lecture. That's how I am. That's it, and that's that. What do you got planned this weekend, that Taj? You got some gigs. Yeah, I'm supposed Look to. Look at you. You're going up against my man up in Santa Barbara. People got to make a decision now. Do we go see fucking San fucking uh, my man Dan Cummings, or do we go <laughs> see Lee Syatt in Santa Barbara? Hit us both. Hit us both. Hit us both. Absolutely. Yeah, go see Dan. I'm going to be at uh, the Velvet Jones with uh, Sam Tripoli, Mike <sighs> Catherwood, and Mike Tully. And then I, I think tomorrow night, it, depending on what happens, uh, there's a chance I might be on the Queen Mary in Long Beach with Diagostino Zoida and Steve Simone. Look at you. No, so you're nice. going. You're going. I you're love going. Tripoli. You're good. Okay. You're good. Sweet. You got clearance. Everything's good. I'm happy you got to come on here. I'm, Thanks for listen, having me. Like I said, Nyack is sold out. Now you got April fucking 4th. And fifth at Santa Fe Casino in Albuquerque. And don't forget, four fucking 20 in Columbus, Ohio, with Kate Kid Quigley on the fucking drums. <laughs> Who's better than you, bitches? Uh, thank you for the love and support all week. You know, I love you cocksuckers with all my heart. I want to thank Dan Cummings. I want to thank my main man, Lee Syatt. And I also want to thank MeUndies. Listen, let me tell you something. Everybody always complains. I can't find a date. I can't. Look, you want to look good? You got to wear the right underwear. Check out me on these matching pairs, a unique fun gift for you and your little sweetheart. They're perfect balance, a comfortable fit, and they come in exciting prints. Don't spend another weekend giving out the same gifts. Check out me on these.com and find the best match for your match. You understand me? Listen, 
Me undies is the most comfortable and fun undies you and your significant other will ever own. All right. Matching pairs are fun. They're thoughtful and they're a comfortable gift when you share them with that person. Listen, me undies are made from the softest materials on earth. We're talking three times softer than cotton. So right now, MeUndies has an exclusive offer. Uh, uh, an offer. I'm sorry. I got a lot of fucking cotton mouth. I smoked some reefer in meanwhile. <laughs> MeUndies has an exclusive offer for my listeners and for first-time purchases. When you go to MeUndies.com slash Joey. What they're going to do is, I'm sorry. I'm fucking all fucked up here. MeUndies is so sure that they love your underwear. They're going to offer you 100% money-back guarantee. 100% satisfaction guarantee. If you don't love the first pair, they'll refund them. Full, nope, it's a no-brainer. You get 20% off underwear and 100% satisfaction guarantee. What the hell are you waiting for? Me undies, I wear them to jiu-jitsu. Anytime I exercise, they keep that area nice and dry with no problem, all right? And right now, you're going to get 20% off a pair of me undies plus free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go to MeUndies.com slash Joey. That's MeUndies.com slash Joey. And again, listen, everybody's trying to save money and do this and that, especially when it comes to eating. As far as I'm concerned, Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. You know why? They offer a two-person plan. They offer a family meal plan. And in my book, a family that cooks together stays together. Blue Apron is the leading meal kit delivery service in the U.S. And while many people know this, a lot of people don't know. And they don't know what type of meals you get when you cook with Blue Apron. You're just not going to have burgers for dinner. You're going to be making shortbread burgers with hop cheddar sauce on a pretzel bun. You're going to be making seared steaks with thine pan sauce and mashed potatoes with green beans and crispy shallots. All in under 45 minutes and without a trip to the grocery store. You're going, Joey, what are you, a fucking magician? No, I'm not a magician. That's what Blue Apron does. Lee, Lee lives off Blue Apron. Tell him, Lee. I love it. My next box is coming with three amazing dishes. It has Italian-style shrimp and sweet peppers. I have quick bucatini, and I have pan-fried chicken with zucchini and pickled peppers. It's going to be amazing. This is what I'm letting you do. Blue Apron lets you see the power and what food can do. Blue Apron delivers fresh, pre-proportioned ingredients with step-by-step recipes right to your goddamn door that can be cooked in under 45 minutes. The menu changes every week based on what's in season and what's designed by Blue Apron and their in-house culinary team. Blue Apron offers 12 new recipes each week, and customers can pick two, three, or four recipes best on what fits their schedule. Not only that, Blue Apron sends only non GMO ingredients and meat with no added hormones. Who's better than Blue Apron? Nobody. Listen, we want you to hear about food you love to cook and eat. We all eat dinner, but we believe with Blue Apron, we make incredible home cooking accessible for any night of the week. So right now, today, Blue Apron is treating the church family to $30 off your first order when you visit blueapron.com slash Joey. You're like, Joey, that deal... It's too good to be true, Joey. How can you be giving me that on a Wednesday? Why are you lying to me like this? Listen, would Uncle Joey lie to you? Look at the menu this week. You got pan-fried chicken breast with a sweet, tangy zucchini. Ooh. You got parmesan-crusted steaks with mashed potatoes and broccoli. You got a quick bucatini with broccoli and pecorino cheese. Are you kidding me or what? Where are you going to get that type of action? Nowhere. BlueApron.com 
slash Joey. BlueApron.com slash Joey. Get $30 off your Blue Apron right now by going to BlueApron.com slash Joey. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. I want to thank my man Dan, the fucking truck Cummings. <laughs> I want to thank my little flying Jew over there, the original Christ killer, Lee Syatt. <laughs> I want to thank my girl Kishi for coming uh, and visiting us and welcoming her with her fucking beauty. I got to take the Maluka off her. And fucking that's it. I love you, cocksuckers. Don't forget, I'll see you, cocksuckers, in Nyack or Santa Fe, April 4th and 5th. Don't forget to stop by and see Dan Cummings. And don't forget to go give Lee a hug. The rest of you motherfuckers, get ready for next week. We're throwing heat at you. Stay black. Have a great fucking weekend. And Uncle Joey loves you. Kick that fucking mule, Lee.